Voices of Hope is a podcast of New Hope Presbyterian Church in Castle Rock, Colorado. New Hope is a church that puts people first. Our Sunday worship is on site and online at 9.30 a.m. And you can listen to our sermons and podcasts on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and any popular podcast platforms. This week, Pastor Jordan brings us a sermon titled, The Prodigal Father. The scripture comes from Luke 15, 11 through 32, and is read by Rick Johnson. Our scripture today is from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 15, verses 11 through 32. Then Jesus said, there was a man who had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the wealth that will belong to me. So he divided his assets between them. A few days later, the younger son gathered all he had and traveled to a distant region. And there he squandered his wealth in dissolute living. When he had spent everything, a severe famine took place throughout that region, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that region, who sent him to his fields to feed the pigs. He would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, And no one gave him anything. But when he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired hands have bread enough and to spare? But here I am, dying of hunger. I will get up and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me like one of your hired hands. So he set off and went to his father. But while he was still far off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. He ran and put his arms around him and kissed him. Then the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his slaves, Quickly, bring out a robe, the best one, and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. And get the fatted calf and kill it, and let us eat and celebrate. For the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now his elder son was in the field. And as he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing. He called one of the slaves and asked, what was going on? He replied, Your brother has come and your father has killed the fatted calf because he has got him back safe and sound. Then he became angry and refused to go in. His father came out and began to plead with him, but he answered his father, Listen, for all these years I have been working like a slave for you and I have never disobeyed your command. Yet You have never given me even a young goat so that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came back, who has devoured your assets with prostitutes, you killed the fatted calf for him. Then the father said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice because this brother of yours was dead and has come to life. He was lost and has been found. As you know, it's Father's Day, so I thought maybe we'd do something kind of around fathers, but maybe more around 
what we see in the story of the prodigal son and the father, because I think these stories are told by Jesus to show us a bit of the characteristics of God. And so we've heard this story a lot, right? The prodigal son story. Uh, And it plays out in many different ways, even in our own culture and other stories. Uh, I mean, you could think of things in real life that kind of fit it a little bit, where a son leaves and and for greener pastures, but it turns out it's not, and then they return. Um, And maybe one day that will happen again, who knows? There's always something I can do to fit in the Packers. Uh, We see this time and time again. Somebody's lost and found. But really in the story, what are we we seeing in the father and what the father does to welcome the son home? I think uh, I have a couple of videos. These are short little uh, TikTok videos. They're they're meant to be funny, tongue-in-cheek, about how to be a man, okay? And some of the women will probably get it more than some of the men. <laughs> but some of the men will probably be like, oh yeah, that's definitely me. All right, let's explore this together. If you use the last of the toilet paper, don't replace the roll. Be a man. <laughs> <laughs> All right. If you're lost, don't ask for directions or use GPS. Just drive around forever. <laughs> that one is actually me. I will do anything not to ask somebody a question. Flip off for no reason and make everybody uncomfortable. <laughs> Be a man. <laughs> so these are some ideas, tongue in cheek, because some of them feel true, right? That that's how we act or how we've been conditioned to act. Um, and so we, we laugh at the reality of it and, and the silliness of it as well. Because I think in some ways we've set up this idea for, for men or fathers that there's, you must be authoritative, you must be strong, you must be stoic. You can't show emotion because that would mean you have weakness. Um, we have to fit all those traditional gender roles that we have. And it seems like right now in this time and place we have this almost focus on hyper-masculinity. And I think that's because when we live in a world when things are changing so rapidly, our instinct is to think, well, this is bad. This is for the worst. So we're gonna gonna get more rigid because we weren't rigid enough because things are changing. And so then there's this kind of, uh, kind of a slingshot backward. And we do that all the time. I think that's the same problem that was going on in the scripture for today because before what was read, there was some questions from people to Jesus about why do you sit with sinners? Why do you eat with tax collectors? And so they're in the same place. Jesus is changing things. This feels all too new and not certain. And so then they have kind of a reaction. And Jesus tells this story to show them how their reaction plays out and how it should be. So when we ask ourselves uh, in scripture, in Christianity, in the church today, we do ask this question of lot, a lot is, what does masculinity look like? But instead, I think scripture's less concerned with that, and it's more concerned about what does humanity look like? What does it mean to be human? Because the story of scripture shows us that humans, we don't wanna be human. That's the whole thing God's trying to get back 
get us back into, to be the creation that God created us to be. The fall in the garden is all about not wanting to be human. It's wanting to be God, wanting to be in control. And so we do that time and time again. Every time we seek power and control as humans, it's kind of an echo of what happened in the garden. Because we want to be in control. We don't want to trust this God we don't see uh, with everything in our lives. We want to control all of it. So in, this, in Luke, before uh, Jesus tells the story of the prodigal son, we have Pharisees and scribes who are grumbling and saying, this fellow welcomes sinners and eats with them. And now the tax collectors and sinners are coming near to listen to him. This is no good, right? These people are messy. We got it figured out. They're not going to look just like us. We don't like this. Jesus is changing things. So in the prodigal son story, oftentimes we read it more as like a behavior modification story or behavior obedience to God. But that kind of puts it in a place of just a story, a myth, a fable. But what Jesus does is parables. And the purpose of parables is to make us uncomfortable. It's to make us uncomfortable with the current state we're in and how we treat others. And Jesus is showing this is how it should be and this is how it will be. So this story of the prodigal son, Jesus sets it up of this son that, of course, all of us read that first part when he takes his inheritance once it early, leaves, spends it all. We're like, this, this guy doesn't have a, his head straight on his shoulders, right? That he's not meant to be some kind of hero in the story or somebody we like because it's reflecting us. And then the, the son comes back and the father welcomes him back with open arms. Not even a question of where you've been, what did you do with the money? It was just, my son is home. My son was dead, but now he is alive. Let's celebrate. And he even brings the community into it. It's not just reconciling to the father, but it's all of the people in the community. I think the son, the younger son, the prodigal son, shows us kind of this vulnerability and obedience. And I think when we have that vulnerability and obedience that the son has, that's when we can experience grace in the most profound way because we're opening ourselves up to something that we have no control over we have done what we've done, but now we have no control over the grace that's put on our lives, but it's there. And that's hard for us to accept most of the time, that we are people that are accepted by God with grace. We always try to make it something else. If we look at the oldest brother, the oldest brother tries to make it about something else. He's saying that he's kind of the distorted mirror image of vulnerability and obedience. He is there clearly because he had loyalty to his father and he had great behavior. He did everything right. But when it gets down to it, when he complains to the father, why, why are you celebrating this son? I've been with you the whole time. He's showing that fundamentally he's only looking inward. It's about himself, his actions, his rights, and the rewards he expects for his long and dutiful service to his father so it's not about his father, brother, or relationships that he values. It is about himself. So then we get to this point where 
I think a lot of Christianity, there's tension within this, is works versus grace. Have you ever heard of this before? Uh, Where we're not saved by works, we're saved by grace, right? But good works should come out of us when we are saved by grace because we want to spread the love that we have experienced. So there's tension even in the story. The older son is the works person, right? I've done all this. I did all the right things. And then the grace was for the son who returned home. And what this story shows, what this parable shows, is that grace is not fair at all. This is how the kingdom of God works. Does God care that we live good and obedient and decent lives, following guidelines and, and ways to love our neighbor? Yes, God cares about that. But that's not the reason we do it. We don't do it because it's the rules we follow so that we can be accepted by God one day because we are already accepted by God. That's what the the people who ask the question of Jesus, why do you sit with the tax collectors? That's what they're getting at. They, They don't understand they're already under the grace of God. That what Jesus is doing in this world is redeeming all things back to God and they are a part of it whether they know it or not. But instead, they're stuck in the mindset of the older brother. So God's love portrayed in this story through the father, and it could be ours as well. It transcends all dutiful actions, all all the requirements we think we have that we set up as a Christian community where we say we have to follow these rules. All those things, God's love transcends all of that. It's based on something other than just our own wants and needs. Because in 1 Corinthians, it says, faith, hope, and love abide. These three, and the greatest of these is love. There was a moment on the mission trip last week where, well, that wasn't last week. It was the week before. Okay. (laughs) It's VBS this last week. But there was a moment we had, uh, we have devotions at lunchtime on the work site. And the question was, what are some of the characteristics of God that we focus a lot on? And what are maybe some of the ones that we don't focus a lot on? And one of the, the leaders that was with us uh, from Next Step Ministries kind of gave this, um, and I hear this a lot from a lot of different Christians. He said, I think sometimes we focus too much on love, right? Some of you maybe, well, some of you do look confused. Uh, but this is a common thing a lot of Christians I know will say because, and his point was, said if all we do is talk about love and God's love, then it's just going to give people permission to just sin all they want because they're loved by God. <laughs> Thanks, Sandy, for the laugh in the back. Um, which it does sound a little silly, in, in their framework, I, I get it. I've been there before in my theology and faith. But the thing is, we don't understand about love is it changes things. It changes people. If you have the true love of God in you and you're telling others that God loves them for who they are, that changes people. If it's truly working, that love is truly working in their lives and their heart, it's, it's a process of change over time to look more and more like Jesus in our world. That's how it happens rather than 
following these obedient rules in order to be accepted by God, we're already accepted. We need to wake up to that. God already knows it. God's already done it. So when we think about fathers and men and and just humans, being human, one of the key components I think of being human is to be vulnerable. Because all the time we're trying to avoid it. We're trying to avoid our humanity. We're trying to do things to be um, loved by God. We're always chasing God's approval. But God just wants us to rest in the grace that God has given us. The grace that knows no bounds, knows no end. So when we're vulnerable, we open ourselves up to that. We open ourselves up to the fact that we are not in control. And then when we're vulnerable and obedient in that vulnerability in our relationships, it comes down to love, love that affirms, forgives, and joyfully celebrates the other above all self. And that's what God is showing in this story through the Father. It takes vulnerability for the father to welcome the son back the way the father did in the story because the son can go off once again. This doesn't isn't for sure that he's going to stay. So you open yourself up for hurt at that point. The son has to have some sort of vulnerability to come back, right? He was so proud when he left and did things kind of the wrong way. So it takes vulnerability to come back because he may face rejection by his father. Brene Brown says this of vulnerability. Vulnerability is not winning or losing, it's having the courage to show up and be seen when we have no control over the outcome. Vulnerability is not weakness, it's our greatest measure of courage. It takes a ton of courage to be vulnerable, to put yourself out there, to express your needs and emotions that you have, to tell somebody when they've hurt you, Tell somebody that you love them. It takes courage to be that vulnerable. So what it means to be human, I think, is to be vulnerable and open before God and others because that's how the kingdom of God grows. The oldest brother was avoiding that vulnerability. He instead lashed out in anger of, I did all these things. Why don't you love me as much as you love the younger son? And that's the sting of the story, that this parable, that what it's trying to get at, Jesus is trying to show that not only are we received and accepted by God, full of grace for who we are and where we are, but that even God would throw a party. So not just accepted, but throwing and celebrating a party for someone who, by all accounts for us in our world and their world at the time, didn't deserve it. So this is the kind of religion that Jesus is setting forth that is countercultural to the, the people who were listening to his answer at the time. We cannot fall from grace at all. And that's a funny thing. I, I talked about earlier about um, the leader from Next Step, his comments about love, and me being there theologically at some point. And what you don't, what I didn't understand at the time is I knew about grace, but that's like, that's a special thing you do, right? That's a little gift you give somebody when you want to feel maybe a little bit more powerful than them, above them. It's like, I'm going to give you grace, right? 
But then slowly I found out through seminary, college, classes, scripture, all kinds of stuff that, no, it's all about real deep grace that there's nothing we can do to make God love us any more or any less. And that takes a little bit of pressure off to try and be a certain way. Maybe instead it's to be vulnerable, to be yourself before God and others. I talked last week about um, our mission trip that our kids in the youth group uh, were being their authentic selves. And that can be hard sometimes. Because our authentic selves, sometimes others are like, I'm uncomfortable with that, can you act this way? Um, but really, that's when we saw a lot of the growth and improvement and, and joy through the Spirit of God working in them that week was because they were authentically themselves, they were vulnerable, and that's how God worked in them. And we should do the same. That should really be what humanity is all about. And when we do that, that's when we can truly make disciples. All right, I'm gonna get on a, like a little soapbox here, like a small one. Um, but one of the things that drives me nuts about the, the modern church is we do have this focus on numbers, how many people are sitting in the pews. If there's a lot of people there, that means that church is successful, okay? That's what we think. It's not always true. I mean, when you read some of Jesus' teachings, when Jesus talks about... Um, false prophets saying the things that people want to hear. Of course, something like that could be very popular. But the thing I have a problem with is churches, when we bring more people in, actually most of the time what's happening is you're pulling people from other churches. You're just bringing in church people from other churches. We're not actually making disciples because that's hard because you have to let people into the church building who don't look like you, think like you, who know nothing about church culture, what's proper and not proper. So then we have to be a church that's full of grace, has a table of grace that all are welcome to, and that gets messy real quick. And sometimes we don't wanna do that. Instead, we're like, we, we just wanna pull those people from that other church. They can come here. This is a better place for them. Instead of going out and meeting people where they're at, people that maybe haven't been to church in years or never been to church, and showing them what this kingdom of God looks like. And that's hard. That's hard work. It takes vulnerability. It takes a whole church family to have vulnerability to do that. And I think that's where the church is going. We talk a lot about the decline of church right now. But I think when you have the decline, there's always an upslope again. I think that's when the church, when the church finally awakens to the fact that no, we have to make disciples, not just create more people like us, but really create disciples. And part of that is showing our full humanity to one another to make people feel welcome, safe, and loved. We could also talk about it in terms of exile. If we think of the church, the American church in declining, what if we're in exile right now? And exile isn't always a bad thing. Exile is used to teach us something, to course correct when we've gone off course. It's God saying, not so fast, you're, you're off the trail here. We need to kind of put you 
and say, put you in a corner, uh, <laughs> put you in time out, basically, right? To say, no, think about this. This is not who I've called you to be. And so maybe, maybe we shouldn't misread exile for persecution. Do not misread exile for persecution. Because exile is something God's doing to us, showing us and trying to drop the scales from our eyes in the ways we haven't been a church that welcomes all people to the table. I think the point of the prodigal father and showing us who God is, is this. In God's kingdom, the law is grace. The currency is mercy and the economy is forgiveness everlasting. And so going back to the comment from the leader about we talk too much about love, it's because when you see this, that feels very, very chaotic. It feels like there's no control in that for us. Grace? Well, of course people have to be held accountable, right? Yeah. But there's also grace at the end of it. There's mercy and forgiveness everlasting. If we truly believe what God did and what God came to earth to do and show us the way of life, then we're going to follow this. We're going to try and be this community for others. Because that's what it's about. That's what the prodigal father teaches us. Amen. Thank you for listening to Voices of Hope. If you have enjoyed our podcast, please rate and review it and share it with your friends. If you want to know more about New Hope, you can subscribe to our weekly email newsletter, The Midweek Memo, by going to our website and signing up. Friends, may you love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and may you go and love your neighbor as yourself. Go in peace.